This is the podcast where we focus on growing, learning, and achieving our lifelong goals. Today's episode, we are fortunate to have a very awesome special guest, Eli Heller, who is also a fellow higher education administrator and educator. Since October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month and ADHD Awareness Month, I thought this would be a great time for Eli and I to kind of sit down and just have a conversation about the two. All right. So, all right, here we go. Here we go. Eli, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Nikki C, for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yes. Every month, you know, it happens every October. So it's just uh, bringing awareness to it. And a lot of times we don't talk about National Disability Employment Awareness Month, but it's it's something that everyone, there's a lot of uh, people who we work with who have all kinds of different visible disabilities and hidden disabilities. So I feel like just having a conversation about it would be kind of beneficial for our listeners who may have their own disabilities that they deal with and trying to understand how to navigate their workspaces um, with this and just having a broader sense and understanding of things like ADHD and, and those types of things. I think this is a great time to educate ourselves. So welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, and I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, yes. I just want to get it started. Just we're going to jump right into it. Can you start off by talking about maybe your personal journey or your well, I don't even think we introduced what maybe what that we maybe we should both share what our, you know, some things that maybe our disabilities are if you if you don't mind sharing, if you have one or not. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So I uh, I identify as a neurodivergent adult. In my case, that means that I identify as a person with ADHD. ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. It falls underneath the neurodiversity umbrella. So neurodiversity umbrella includes autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dysgraphia, and um, most conditions that you would consider to be learning disabilities. So it's a part of that umbrella. And with ADHD, you can either be hyperactive or inattentive or combined type. So hyperactive and inattentive, which actually is how I identify uh, both hyperactive and inattentive. And I identify, I want to point out that I specifically uh, mentioned being a neurodivergent adult because I wasn't diagnosed until I was an adult. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 29 years old. So my journey has been lifelong, but it's been, it's accelerated as far as how much I've learned in just the last two years since my diagnosis, which was almost two years ago, almost down to the day, actually. Oh, so. wow. Neurodivergence is something that we don't often talk about. And what are, like, I know that some people identify as neurodivergent. Well, what are some of the other identifiers in, in that realm? There's neurodivergence, and then there are people who are the opposite of that. Oh, yeah. So someone who whose behaviors and um, habits and, and ways that they learn and, and a whole list of other things align more with what um, society considers to be more typical would be considered to be neurotypical. Okay. Yeah. Neurotypical. So that, yes, that's kind of the sure. difference. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get the, um, the actual uh, the definitions correct and the labels. So and now you you've talked about your having being a neurodiverse individual and how has that shaped your career in in your career field like in higher education administration yeah so it's it's such a great question because there are so many different 
ways that being neurodivergent has led me to make the choices that I've made about about my career. And I wasn't aware of this really as much until my diagnosis, but looking back, it's, you know, it's it always has influenced my choices. So I think just the, the first thing I want to say is it's it's very difficult for folks with ADHD to focus on things that they aren't interested in. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people think that people with ADHD can't pay attention or they have a hard time paying attention. It's actually not true. We have a difficulty with regulating attention. So when we're really interested in something, we might go into something called hyperfocus, where we are so mm-hmm. focused on it that we can't think about anything else. And so for me as a, as a student, that was my studies in art history and, and journalism. And, you know, I felt when I, when I got to college, I had the freedom to study what I was interested in. And then I was really, really, really into it. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. from being really, yeah. And so from being a really involved student, you know, as far as my studies, I also got to be a really involved student with leadership and other activities. And I wrote for the paper and I became a peer advisor and I became a, um, I worked in housing for a bit and, you know, I, I studied abroad and I just did all of these things. And I think from from just getting, throwing myself into school like that and really hyper-focusing on school, that's kind of what led me to go into higher education as a career in the first place. And, you know, I, I, I care about people. I really like working directly with people. And that's my interest, right? So if I didn't have, like, I couldn't, I couldn't make a choice where I wasn't interested in what I was doing. And I made, I made a choice based on just other factors versus my own interests. I think, I think that's, that's a big part of it is needing to have, have some sort of extreme interest in what you're doing, or it just isn't going to work out. (laughs) Yeah. You you definitely have to be interested in what you're doing. And it looks like you were able to kind of just dive into a lot of different avenues in the higher education field, so to speak. And then at that time you weren't diagnosed with what you, um, so you didn't even know you were just, you were just doing you, you know, you're just like, I'm just, I'm into this, I'm into that, I'm into this. You just never know how, how we, how we learn, how we process information, um, how we can change and uh, how we navigate our spaces. So yeah, definitely. Uh, sometimes people, they hear, you know, disability and they think of a hindrance, but you never know. Sometimes there's a lot of times there's a lot of positives and a lot of um, strengths that come from having things that we have. And even though we don't understand it, it's a good thing when we are able to get to that point where we're, I guess we're diagnosed or we kind of understand a little bit of how we, we learn. So in your experience, how does, uh, I would say neurodiversity contribute to this overall idea of diversity, inclusivity of just in higher education or just in the workforce in general? Like, how do you feel like that uh, kind of enhances or um, expands the experience? Well, I think that just like any other identity, people who identify as neurodivergent have a certain perspective that's that's unique, mm-hmm. right? And the more perspectives you bring into the workplace, the better a team does in the first place, right? Everyone has a different mm-hmm. perspective. Everyone has a different opinion to share. Um, I also think that the way that neurodiverge the way that neurodivergent people interact with the world is different. I think that let me see. I think that we don't beat around the bush as much. I think we're very direct and very honest because we don't have the ability not to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's, 
That's a common theme. I think that's really important. I think it contributes to diversity and inclusion because there are certain things that you just don't think about when you when it comes down to other people's needs. So for example, needing to maybe needing a little bit of extra support when you're first learning and you're first training and needing a little bit more repetition and maybe needing needing to ask the same question maybe more than once. And it's, you know, maybe you weren't listening, you weren't, you were listening the first time, but it, it just took twice to really fully understand what the directions were. Or you feel uncomfortable when you don't have directions and you need to ask for directions. You need structure, you need to create structure. And I think that, you know, if we want, if we truly want to celebrate diversity in the workplace, we also have to celebrate these, just these different needs that people have. Like I, don't like working from home for the most part. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that there's a lot of push to have more flexibility around working from home. I'm kind of always asking mm-hmm. for the opposite. Like I want more flexibility with working in person. Like I can't get <laughs> much done when I'm at home. I don't, I feel too distracted. Home and work being the same place does not yes. feel comfortable for me. So mm-hmm. when, I'm, when I'm out of the house, when I'm wearing shoes, I wear shoes when I'm at home so I can trick my brain into thinking that I'm out because I'll be able to focus more. You know, I, I yeah. can't get too comfortable. So I think just, but, but then if, you know, if given these things, I'm able to contribute to the, the best of my abilities and, and it's, you know, people do their best when they feel comfortable and we want, mm-hmm. we want everyone to be able to do their best and to be able to contribute to the, to the fullest that they can and different yeah. people have different needs and sometimes they're just invisible and and you have to ask and you have to educate people about these things. Yeah. I I completely agree. Um and and, and we don't talk about when we think about sometimes um diversity and inclusivity. Sometimes oftentimes we leave out the disabilities. Disability or or we don't engage that or incorporate that into the the importance because being able to understand like Understand that maybe not everyone wants to work from home, right? Or understand that, you know, there may be other things or other factors that may kind of influence how you learn, how you think, how you process. And I think when we do understand those things, it does, like you said, it really enhances the workforce. And I am, that's why I think it's so important to have something like National Disability Employment awareness month that's such a such a long title but (laughs) a lot of big words but I think that's so important because we have to celebrate and understand um disabilities in in our workforce and I think it's very important to kind of have that so could you discuss the importance of creating an inclusive work environment for neurodiverse individuals and how it kind of benefits the employees and the organization overall yeah, definitely. Let me see. Where do I want to start with that? Yeah, so the importance so I'm trying what I'm thinking about is some of the things some of the hidden strengths that neurodivergent people have can only mm-hmm. come out when an inclusive work pa- workplace is is uh, uh, you know, when 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 those folks are in an inclusive workplace. And so it's important mm-hmm. to first of all be open to having folks talk about mental health in the workplace, having folks talk about um, neurodiversity and what that means, having affinity groups. Mm-hmm. I actually helped start an affinity group for neurodiversity and disability um, at my place of work. Um, I love that. Yeah. So so building building community around shared lived experiences is something that's extremely important to me. So that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. 
one of the things that neurodiverse people have trouble with is uh, it's part of executive mm-hmm. functioning. And so uh, folks, especially um, on the autism spectrum and folks with ADHD have um, difficulty with uh, executive function with uh, ex- executive dysfunction. So memory is a part of that organization, prioritization. So having things written down, putting instructions in writing so we don't forget, right? I, I handwrite mm-hmm. a lot of notes. I think being encouraged to do things like that, that might be different than what someone else needs to do to remember and get all their work done, um, should be encouraged and talked about openly. And, and then people are able to contribute to the fullest of their ability. So I... You know, I, it's funny because I, I say that I have an amazing memory and I have a terrible memory at the same time <laughs> <laughs> because I can't, I lose things, you know, and I, um, I, I have a difficulty with time management and prioritization. I mean, I've got it all, all those things I listed, but yeah. when I'm talking to a, to a student or when I'm talking to a colleague, I, I always say, I will never forget anything about them that they tell me because it just, I just commit it to memory and I, I don't know, I don't know what to say about that. I just have a way of memorizing certain specific things. And so that's actually a strength, you know, of, of my, I think, I think so. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, um, it, it's first off memorizing anything. <laughs> just can be awesome. So if you have a, you have your method that kind of works for you, I say, go for it. Um, yeah. Uh, the like you said, the neurodivergent strengths and 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 hit it's it's kind of a in a way a, if if it's not kind of visibly because people when they think of disabilities they think of the ones that we can see yeah and and so that one would be more of like a, what are you saying a hidden disability like you know my hidden disability I can kind of navigate spaces where no one would know but you know I have I deal with like blindness and in, in my you know in one of my eyes right so it's just just kind of uh it's it's really good to sometimes have to sometimes you have to kind of reveal those types of things just so you can have the the things that you need like that makes you beneficial like like you said you know having a certain type of way that people write stuff down for you or for me I need accommodations where maybe I I don't do as much work on a computer that maybe I have to do some stuff off a computer and those types of things and having your employers aware of those those accommodations to to kind of help you to navigate those spaces a little bit easier yeah so i think that that's important and also we talked about the you know national disability month but and we also talked to adhd and so this is also adhd awareness month a lot of a lot of awareness going on this month i I must say of october could you shed some light on some of the challenges that you feel maybe neurodiverse students uh, face with ADHD in higher education and kind of what some of the steps can be taken to kind of support their academic success. I know we may have some listeners who may have students who are college age or they may be in college themselves and they could probably benefit from this information. So, Yeah. So, so the question was steps to support neurodiverse students and our students with ADHD. Yeah. Or, or yeah, our students with ADHD in higher ed, you know, like um, something that you feel like will support their academic success. Yeah. So I think it's about creating a study environment that's conducive to what they need to get their work done. So for example, when I was a student, I never studied with other people. <laughs> I could not do that. I always went to the library and just camped out there for the day, usually on a weekend or on a day mm-hmm. when I didn't have a lot of classes or other things going on. I would just stay there for three or four mm-hmm. hours 
get all my work done, get into hyper-focus, not have anybody or any distractions around me, and just write my essay, do my readings, take my notes. So I think being able to talk about that with students as a thing that they can, that can help them, like, where is your quiet space? Are you a coffee shop person? Because some people, some people do better with white noise, or some people need complete quiet, yeah. like myself. So um, I need... I need to complete quiet with certain projects. And then sometimes I do need music with others. So I completely understand. Yeah. So I think just encouraging students to recognize the like what, what they need from the very beginning, because the, if we're, if you're, if you're on the quarter system or even if you're on the semester system, the, the pace of, of the, of school just is so fast and you need to hit the ground running and decide what you're going to do to get your work done in the very first week, you know, make it a habit. Cause that's the other thing that neurodiverse neurodivergent people need is, is routine. <laughs> you'll so that's mm-hmm. one thing you'll hear f- frequently actually with with a- folks with ADHD and um, autistic folks. Routine is extremely important, and it might be there might be certain things that are very 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 specific that folks need to function that are a part of their routine. So figuring out your routine, being encouraged to figure out your routine. I think extensions on assignments and extra time on tests can make a huge difference. I think for me in mm-hmm. high school that would have I would have had a lot less self-doubt after graduating high school. If I had had, if I was diagnosed then and and I had had an extra 20 minutes to finish a test, I think I might've done better on a lot of tests. (laughs) I -hmm. think, you know, um, cause I'm just, I'm a little bit slower, right. But I still get the work done, but I just, I'm just slower. So what are you going to do? You you navigate at your own pace, right? Yeah. So, um, Let me see. And and actually, one thing I want to talk about while I'm thinking about it is also one thing that folks with ADHD in particular experience is rejection sensitivity. So mm. yeah, so a heightened sensitivity to feeling or be or or perceiving some kind of rejection from other people. Um, there's just a heightened emotional sensitivity for people with ADHD, and I think in the workplace you know, how, how that might look is just feeling like you're not good enough, feeling like you're perceiving, like you're always behind pushing yourself to do as much as you possibly can and overachieve and people please. And what those things really are is compensating for feeling behind and compensating for that fear of, of rejection, even just perceived rejection, not real rejection. Right. Cause you know, I, I think, yeah, we just, we fear that a lot of the time. So I think just talking about all these things with students and, you know, I, I think as far as, and I'm going on, this is like a long answer, but. Um, <laughs> no, I, I love the answer. Go for it. Yeah. But I, but I also, you know, I also, um, I just in working with students at a, at a, at, at what would be considered a competitive, competitive university where the classes are really mm-hmm. hard. There's hundreds of, hundreds of students in the classes. The curve is steep, Right students are really feeling a lot of imposter syndrome and they're trying really hard and they're not doing as well as they think they should be or as well as they did in high school. And that can be a a really emotionally damaging. And if they weren't, you know, if they had ADHD and they they didn't know it, like I didn't know it, you know, they might just blame it all on themselves. Right. And that can lead to other complications and other mental health issues. And so I, I think that there's, there's just a need to talk about these things more openly, identify, what some of the issues are and and just build community around this this shared experience and and help people to recognize their strengths Mm -hmm. yeah that's oh that's so that's so very true like if you if you carry all of this inside you would feel I can only imagine I mean everybody you know um just has some kind of level oh well not everyone but 
some people do have that level of, of imposter syndrome, but I'm sure that those types of things can be heightened, especially when you are trying to navigate certain spaces like uh, academics or your your personal, not your personal space, your personal space as well as your um, work workspace and work environment. So I can completely understand and imagine how, uh, I could only imagine how challenging that must be um, for people who are, who are going through that. And some people are going through it and don't even know why they're going through it. So I think that's yeah. even, um, even harder. I think the importance of getting um, that type of, what was it like testing or, yeah. you know, cause sometimes we don't think because we just think this is just how we are, but once you were able to get through like the testing and stuff like that and learn that this was something that you, now you can navigate it even better. So um, just in terms of that, what are some ways that if people are maybe thinking that maybe I have some other things going on that I didn't expect, how do, how do you, how do you get to the point of how do you figure out if you're, you may have something like ADHD or maybe you're, trying to figure out are you neurodivergent or are you just not sure but you you feel like maybe something's going on but you're not quite sure how do you kind of take that next step to to kind of find out yeah it's a great question i so there are i have a number of answers to that the first thing is you know nowadays social media is so prevalent and people are a lot more transparent about what they put on social media they're a lot more personal and so i think people share a lot of just really deeply personal things on platforms mm-hmm. like Instagram and TikTok. And um, I, I really think actually those two probably, and Twitter, but I think those two more than anything else yeah, of just people sharing their own experiences. And, you know, and, and if you, I think that was one of the things that, that I thought about was just hear, seeing what people were saying about ADHD and it just felt so uncanny <laughs> for me. And what else? I, I also think there are, I know that there are excellent resources like Attitude Magazine, for example. So it's ADD, Attitude with two Ds. (laughs) Attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, excellent resource. Um, There's a YouTube channel called How to ADHD. So Jessica McCabe, that's her channel. And she makes these incredible videos where she talks about different specific experiences that people with ADHD have, adults and children and teens. Um, Like she's got one about rejection sensitivity. She has one about executive dysfunction. She has one about ADHD and sleep. Uh, She has one about ADHD and prioritization, ADHD and time management. So that's a really helpful channel. Um, Attitude Magazine actually also has an assessment you can take for free. And you, you can see if you fall, you know, if you answer yes to between 15, like if you answer yes to a certain number of questions, it's more likely that you have ADHD, <laughs> right? Okay. So I think we have to make sure we put some of those in our uh, notes description. So for our listeners, so that they want to go on and uh, to kind of use some of these resources and, and, and do some more research. So thank you for that. Um, I'll be sure to reach out to you for some of the links for some of those um, those resources. I think they would be very, very helpful. Um, what advice would you give? Well, I think before I even ask that question, how can the wider society, including the employers, policymakers, better support our neurodiverse individuals in their transition from 
for example, like our students, when we're going from higher education to the workforce, like what are some things that we can kind of put into place to kind of help that transition for them? I would say affinity groups is the first thing, being able to have a place to share about your experience. Employee employee affinity groups around disability or specifically around diversity are really powerful. Like I said, I helped start one at, at my employer. As students are transitioning, I think also asking if they need accommodations, asking what accommodations they need. When they when they're first hired, let's see what else can employers do to accommodate students in the workplace. Is that the question? Mm-hmm. And just kind of just to, to to give them, like you said, that 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 support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being really transparent about expectations, it's it's very confusing and and it can be very just very difficult and very anxiety inducing to not know what the expectations are. Of, of your employer. Mm-hmm. So I think having really clear expectations can be helpful. Yeah. And I would say students need to f- need to realize their strengths. <laughs> they need to make choices. Yeah. That, yeah. They need to make choices that play up to their strengths because if, if you're neurodiverse and you're in a workplace that doesn't align with your interests or your strengths at all, you're just not going to last there. You're not going to be like, like I said before, I, I made certain choices because I, based on what I knew I could pay attention to, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't pay attention to things that weren't interesting to me. And I, I don't know, I didn't, I, I wouldn't know how I would do I, that. I feel you. I can't either. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 that's why I probably wouldn't go into finance because I'm not interested in any of that. Yeah. <laughs> Just sitting there um, listening and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, we hear about the, um, you've kind of gone into a lot of the strengths of people who are near division. But there are a lot of times there are misconceptions. So in your opinion, what are some of the misconceptions or like stereotypes that surround neurodiversity, ADHD, and how, how can we kind of challenge and overcome? Them? Yeah. So one is that, I, I mean, I think I already said this before, but one of the biggest ones is that we, we don't, we can't pay attention and mm. really can pay attention. We just have a hard time regulating attention. Um, mm-hmm. so I think being able to bring out that hyper-focus and see that as a strength. And when I'm in hyper-focus, I can get more done in a day than probably a neurotypical person can get done in a week, honestly, yeah. but I might not get anything done the next week at all. <laughs> so it's just very inconsistent, right? So that's, that's mm-hmm. one thing is, you know, the, the inconsistency, like the amount of work that we get done is, is still the same. It's just not like this, you know, like the, if you ever hear anyone say, Oh, do a little bit every day. Like we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're going to do a lot this day. Maybe not that much this day, and then a whole lot next week. <laughs> yeah, like I I procrastinate on purpose sometimes because I know that like mm-hmm. the the urgency is what's going to get me to do it all. It's going to get me to actually do everything. <laughs> yes. So yes, I am an ultimate procrastinator. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it comes to writing. Oh my god. I would. Oh my. God. Yeah, but it, but it helps. And then and then also, what are some other min- misconceptions that because we aren't paying attention, we don't care? We actually really do care. Mm-hmm. Sometimes too much. <laughs> Sometimes I have a deep emotional connection to what I'm doing, and and that mm-hmm. comes down to back back down to just the emotional uh, sensitivity that I was that I was mentioning before. Yeah. Yeah. What what else? Uh, I just had another one in my head and I forgot. There's there are a lot of misconceptions. Um, oh, mm-hmm. that we're lazy. We definitely are not lazy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never known. I was some of the hardest working people I knew had had um, things that they dealt with with ADHD. And I'm, I thought, 
lazy is just not one of those things I think of. No, but it, I was just with some of the most hardworking people I know. So I, it's, it's just crazy how misconceptions can just kind of um, direct everybody's uh, ideologies and thought processes of um, uh, how, how people navigate our spaces. Yeah, it's, it's true. And I would even say another misconception is, is that we don't like to learn. And I can't even tell you how much I love to learn. I know everything about certain topics because I have hyper-focused on them and learned literally everything, (laughs) but it's like, Mm -hmm. it's random things that you would never think of. Like, you know, just information that isn't probably that valuable, but I just know a lot about it because I got really interested and got sucked in and, you know, and spent a day just learning about that. So we actually do love to learn. Down those rabbit holes. Oh, (laughs) rabbit holes. Yeah. (laughs) That, that is my that is definitely my thing all the time. I, I don't want to hold you too long, but uh, I guess and to kind of wrap everything up, finally, what do you what do you hope to see in terms of progress and awareness around neurodiversity and in higher education, in the workforce, in the future? And you know, how can we kind of go towards achieving that vision? Yeah, it's a great question. I would like to see, I mean, I I know I keep saying this, but just more conversations about this, more more appreciation of people's unique talents. Oftentimes someone might be excellent and the best you can possibly imagine at one particular thing, but they might struggle with other things that maybe the majority of people don't struggle with. I think that should be celebrated and acknowledged. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think just being able to talk about mental health in the workplace, being able to talk about um, the emotional roller coaster that I think a lot of people, especially with ADHD experience and, and just normalizing that, we just have a different relationship with the idea of of what is good work, right? And um, mm-hmm. and and what is timeliness and uh, and failure. Actually, I think that's that's the main thing. We have a different relationship with with what's what's considered failure, um, mm. because sometimes the things that are the most simple, like being somewhere on time <laughs> or not losing things or yeah. not. Um, forgetting things or not misplacing things at home, not having, you know, keeping things neat and organized. Those seem like really easy things for a lot of other people that are really hard for us. So I think just being able to talk about that more, being able to recognize that that doesn't make someone a failure, even though it might make us feel like a failure, (laughs) right? Like if we're failing at the things that seem simple and easy. So Mm -hmm. I'll leave it at at that. I, I appreciate that because that's something that we don't really think about, just the little things and how that that kind of affects our dynamics of how we kind of navigate this this uh, the day to day life. So thank you for kind of just bringing that to light and and just having this conversation overall. I think as we re-enter after the the the, the situation that we were all in for about three years <laughs> that we don't want to talk about um, after coming back from that I think we all are really re re understanding what it means to be employers, employees, and coworkers. Like we really are having to re understand uh, and understand each other. And so I think having these conversations, because you know, three four years ago we weren't talking about to the to the to the degree that we're talking about neurodiversity. We weren't, it wasn't a part of the company. People were like, what, what's that? What, what does that mean? And so now 
it's a part of the conversation. And I think it's an important part of the conversation. So I'm really glad that we just had a moment to really just sit and reflect and talk about that because our, like I said, we're, we're coming into, we're redefining what it means to work in the workplace, how we, how we connect with each other. We, we're trying to figure out how to reconnect because I think even though we've been on Zoom and we've been connected, we've been disconnected from one another. And trying to just re-navigate that um, in the workforce and the academic force, because I, I don't know about you, but I've definitely seen the impact of of uh, relearning how to to navigate the classroom and 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 academics uh, with our students, and it's been a difficult one and it's been a challenging yeah. one. So I'm glad that now we're learning how each other, how we all learn each other, how we all communicate how we think and I think that that's important to see that there's diversity across the board with that so yes I'm glad we had the conversation me too and 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 yeah and success doesn't look one way it it has like you have to define your own I say to students you have to you have to come up with your own definition of what success is because it's not Mm -hmm. it might not be what it seems like it is (laughs) to you so yes Especially, oh my gosh, the students, students say, it's just like, I want to be rich. I want to be, I was like, uh, that can happen. But success, I mean, rich doesn't equate success or, or happiness at that. So you just really think about, you know, finding things that you're passionate about, and what makes you happy. And so I'm glad that you are in a position where you can do things that make you happy and, and, and things that you're passionate about. So that's, that helps. And then you're, like you said, you started these affinity groups are part of a, uh, an affinity group. So I think that that's beneficial because you are connecting other people who may have felt isolated, who now feel like they have a place where they can kind of tell their story and, and they have people who can listen and understand those dynamics. So those things are so, so important. So I, I definitely want to make sure we continue to put some resources out there. Um, and I, you know, just as a call to action for um, the listeners, you know, I want you to, you know, think about identifying businesses and priority and and businesses that kind of prioritize inclusivity and employment opportunities for people with disabilities. Um, I'll try to leave some resources for you, but I encourage you to support those businesses and how they raise awareness and uh, for in their efforts. And also just educating yourself on, you know, disability employment, ADHD, neurodiversity, just kind of having, um, you know, research, um, other books or articles, documentaries, websites, whatever it may be. We'll put a couple in the in the notes, but um, just getting that information and, and sharing that information with others so that we can kind of increase and expand that awareness and understanding. So in closing, I just want to thank you, Eli, for joining us today. And, um, and thank you for your time and your your patience and your efforts and is greatly appreciating your words of wisdom. So thank you for bringing that to us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. No problem. And I just want to thank everyone for um, listening and for joining and remember to tune in every Thursday at 10 AM for a new episode. Remember to hit the subscribe button so that you won't miss any episodes. Hit the follow. Um, I want to be sure to just thank our loyal listeners who have listened across the nation and across the globe. Special shout out to one of our loyal listeners in Ashburn, Virginia. Thank you for always listening. You are appreciated. And um, we will see you again until we meet again. I'm your host, Nikki C. And remember, it's time to get back to learning again. And if not now, then when?